take your copy of Scripture today, turn with me to the ninth chapter of Matthew. Two weeks ago, we talked about revival in the heart. Last week, we talked about revival in the home. We pray and beg God to do just that for us. I'm praying that every heart, every life, every person in this room, in these days where we're having this spiritual emphasis on spiritual renewal, this emphasis on our hearts being renewed by the Lord. Remember what revival means. It means a recommitting, a reprioritizing, we would say, of things that are important. Looking at priorities the way God does, making God's priorities our priorities. We're asking Him to do just that. In my life, in your life, and last week we talked about asking God to do that in our home. In our home. If those two things happen, and I believe not only they can, I believe that God's doing that. I know He's doing that in me. He's done so many things in the last several days in my own life, convicting me, showing me this and that, areas where he wants Christian to improve. He wants my home to improve, my home to grow, my home to be different. Well, gang, I'm praying that for all of us. I've asked you, we've asked you as a church to enter into a season of prayer and to pray five times a day that God would do that. Five times a day. I can't help but think that God is going to move and speak and change lives. He's going to answer the prayer of his people. When you ask God to revive you, you know that's a prayer that he loves to answer. With so many individuals praying and asking him to do just that, I'm confident he's going to do that very thing. But when he does that, and when he does revive our hearts, and when he does bring revival or a sense of revival to our home, what does that look like? Does it, does it stay here? Is it contained right here within these four walls? Well, I believe Jesus addresses that. Remember in Matthew 5, he talked about, does a man light a candle and then hide it under a bushel? No. He doesn't do that. He lights the candle and then he, he holds it up for everyone to see and so that light would shine on his path and radiate the area where he is. And I ask you this morning, does God do that? Does God light up his church and light the fire of revival in his people just so we can keep it contained in these four walls? No. Does he, does he give us a, a renewal, a rebirth, a reigniting of spiritual priorities just for it to lay dormant right here? No, sir. So I don't believe God wants revival to be hidden under a bushel. I believe that when true revival, a true reigniting of God's priorities, when that takes place in our life, I sincerely believe that we're going to see it not just lived out, but that same fire spread out even in our city, our county, our community. That it's going to be taken out of these four walls. That the salt is going to be gotten out of the salt shaker. 
that the light is going to be taken out from under the bushel basket and it's going to shine and it's going to permeate and drive back darkness. God's presence is going to ignite people's hearts and touch them through our lives. And I believe when you think about real life ministry and you think about engaging with people, and can I tell you, that's what real life ministry is. It's coming in contact with people. It's engaging with people. It's, it's, it's living life with individuals. And it's touching people for Jesus and for the gospel. We see that so, so often in the New Testament. But one of the prominent places where we see that is here in Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to begin, I want you to look at verse 35. We're going to read down through the end of the chapter today as we talk about revival in the harvest. Revival in the harvest. Ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't just want to touch us in our homes. He wants to touch our harvest field. He wants to touch our mission field. You say, preacher, where's the mission field? Well, friend, it's right outside our door. It's right outside our doorstep. This is our Jerusalem right here. Goldsboro. Wayne County. North Carolina, that's our Jerusalem. How are we doing with our Jerusalem? I'm convinced if we have God ignite us and if God ignites our home and we once again have the same spiritual priorities that God has and that those things are in place in our life, there's no doubt in my mind it's going to impact our community and our city. It's going to make a difference in our harvest. We learn as we study the life of Jesus that he was not ashamed, embarrassed, or afraid to come in contact with people and become engaged with people. I want you to look at what we read here in Matthew 9. Look at verse 35. Are you with me this morning? Say amen. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest. You see, once we have revival in the heart and revival in the home, then we will and should have revival in the harvest. In other words, we must let that revival spill out into the streets and let it be lived out in real life. So I want to bring you three truths from the text, and I want you to hang with me, listen carefully this morning. Truth number one. Doing life-changing ministry is infinitely more important than maintaining an image or defending a position. Doing life-changing ministry is infinitely more important than maintaining an image or defending a position. I want you to notice with me, it's very interesting what is going on here in the passage. It's This is the third time in the public ministry of Jesus that he went into Galilee. And some individuals say that it was his last time, by the way. 
But it says in verse 35, uh, it's, it's stated exactly the same way in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Based on verse 34, notice what it says. Jesus had just cast out a demon from a man. He had healed blind people. People were coming to him left and right. He was touching them. He was healing them. And then notice the Pharisees in verse 34. This is very interesting. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. In other words, Jesus, his power to do all this is from the devil. That he's being empowered by the devil. So in verse 34, these Pharisees and these hypocrites, as Jesus called them, these self-righteous individuals accused Jesus of being led and empowered by the devil. Well, how did he reply to that? Did he give a seasoned, reasoned defense for why that's not true? Did he give, as we would say, an apologetic and enter into a discourse and a dialogue and a debate with the Pharisees as to why they were wrong? No. Notice what he did. So they give him, they bring this railing accusation against him in verse 34. And then we have verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness, every disease among the people. Now, friend, is that accidental? Is that coincidental? Or is that there for a reason? I believe it's there for a reason. I believe every bit of scripture, it's structured that way for a reason. So here's the deal. They're, they're, they're busting on Jesus, throwing this accusation at him. This false accusation. Well, you're only doing this by the power of the devil. Jesus doesn't stand there and defend himself. He doesn't get mixed up in the, excuse me, the stupidity of that statement. Can I get an amen right there? Because that was a dumb statement. He doesn't get, you know, bent out of shape over the false accusation. He doesn't let it sidetrack him. He doesn't slow down. He doesn't get his mind all caught up and, well, they don't like me and they must be against me. No, he doesn't do that. You know what he does? He goes back to ministry. It's almost as if he ignores them. And he says, I don't have time for that. And he goes back to ministering. You see, his reply to that nonsense wasn't so much a verbal self-defense of his person, of his position. Boy, they've insulted me. He didn't even respond verbally. But his response was an all-out effort to love, help, and transform people. It's as if he wasn't even concerned about what these self-righteous, hypocritical people thought about him. He seemed to be so focused on legit life-changing ministry instead of maintaining this image or this impression in front of people to whom it didn't even matter to begin with. He said, I'm just going to go back to ministering to people and try to help people and love people and save people and heal people and rescue people from their sin. I don't have time to get mixed up in maintaining my own personal reputation in their eyes because they don't know the truth. They're deceived themselves. I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to dialogue with them. I'm not going to give them the time of day. I'm going to go back to ministering to people. 
And can I tell you that doing life-changing ministry is more important than making ourselves look good in the eyes of somebody with whom it doesn't really eternally matter? Defending a certain position or defending our own personal image, that doesn't matter. What matters is ministering to people. Glorifying God through ministry to people. It says Jesus went to the cities and the villages. He went to the synagogues. He went to where the people were. You see, the synagogues, uh, it literally means a gathering, a gathering place, an assembly, a gathering of people. The synagogues were used by the Jewish communities uh, not just for religious purposes, but for things like schools, communal meals, lodging places for travelers, courts, political meetings, gatherings, and distributing of charity and things like that. It was, as it were, if we can understand it this way, it was the social hub of the Jewish village, the Jewish community, the synagogues. And so when Jesus would enter into a city in Israel, guess where the first place he went? He went to the synagogue. Why? Because he wanted to get up and preach and be the big shot? No. Because he knew that's where the people were. That's where the Jews hung out. And that's where he went. Because he wanted to engage with people. Here's the point. Jesus went to the people, to where they were, where they lived. He got engaged with people, do we? Here's a question. How are we really doing in our Jerusalem, in our mission field? I want everybody to listen. Will you ask yourself that question? How are we doing as faith church really at reaching our Jerusalem and our mission field? How are you doing at reaching yours? You see, it's very easy to point a finger at a group. Well, let's turn it around and point it to ourselves. How are we doing? How are we? How am I doing? How are you doing? Wayne County has a population of 124,000 people. Goldsboro has a population of 36,000, give or take a few. Within the city limits, this is the city limits, within the city limits of Goldsboro, that 36,000 is made up of 54% African American, 39% Caucasian, a growing number of Latino population. Does our church, here's some questions to ponder. Does our church accurately represent our community? Or does it only accurately represent a certain segment of our community? Say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, look around our church. I'm afraid it doesn't accurately represent our community. It represents a certain segment of our community. You say, why do you say that? Well, I'm just pointing the truth out. If this is our Jerusalem, then God wants us to really legitimately try to reach our Jerusalem. Now, I understand 
we are more effective at reaching folks of our own kind. I understand that. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. But listen, is your heart, is your mind, is your pew open enough to reach somebody different than you? Is your home, is your family open enough to try to reach somebody that may not fit in our little ethnic or socioeconomic box? I can't answer that for you. You say, preacher, excuse me, you're trying to turn our church into a black church. I want our church to be the church that Jesus would be pleased with, though. Think about those with handicaps and disabilities. Look around our church this morning. A church our size, you would think there'd be some individuals here, several individuals, and we do have one or two in wheelchairs but does it accurately reflect the population of our county with those with disabilities no did you know did you know that families with special needs children that only one tenth only 10% of the families in America with special needs children are in church anywhere Look around. You say, oh, preacher, we're just not geared or set up to handle special needs children. Can I say this to you in love? You're exactly right. We're not, but shame on us. Who's going to reach those families? That means 90% this morning, 90% of the special needs families in our community are not in church anywhere. What church in our area, who in this room is going to get burdened by God and say, now Lord, they're part of our Jerusalem. Whatever that means for us to try to reach out to them, we're going to do it. Lord, we may not get all of them, but God help us to get some. You say, preacher, we're not geared. I know we're not geared or set up for it. I'm just telling you, God help us because we need to get geared and set up to to help families with special needs kids. Can I get an amen right there? You say, why is that so important? Because that's a growing segment of our mission field. It's like most of us don't even have a conscious thought about. I don't see any folks this morning who, who, who are deaf in our services are there deaf people in Wayne County sure there are but not in our church any longer and I know we can't manipulate things we can't just make things happen but let me tell you how what's on the heart of your pastor let me tell you how your preacher's praying I'm praying oh God open up and expand our reach when it comes not just to ethnicity and the socioeconomic differences, but even disability differences. 
Because there is a huge world at our fingertips that are even within the bounds of our county that are lost without Christ. They don't have the gospel because we're not really communicating with them. And if the Lord in His sovereign providence and wisdom would birth it in us and put it on somebody's heart to let's go after some people that maybe we haven't gone after in a long time or that really no other church that I know of, at least in this general area, is going after. And see, Jesus wasn't afraid to get engaged with people. Ten million people in North Carolina. Do you know the median age in Goldsboro is 34 and a half years old? That's a young population. That's a young average. Does that reflect in our church? Does our church reflect that age demographic? What are you intentionally doing to get in touch with people? Question to ponder. When's the last time you had someone of a different race or ethnicity or even nationality in your home? Think now. Think. You say, well, I hadn't. Well, why not? Well, that's just not what we do. I know. Could it be something Jesus wants us to start doing? When's the last time you had someone in your home of a totally different socioeconomic background? I mean, they weren't like you. As we say, they came from the other side of the tracks. They may not have even known where the tracks were. When's the last time you had them in your home? Well, I can't do that. I can't do that, CP. What if they steal something? Okay, what if? What if they break something? What if? Boy, I just, I'm not sure about that. What if it's going to make me feel uncomfortable? It's a good day in my life when I feel uncomfortable when I'm engaged in ministry. You say, well, that's not real ministry, preacher. That's not real ministry. Real ministry is giving them a track. And I'm for giving them a track. And I guarantee you, I give out as, as many as the rest. I'm, I, I'm just telling you, I give out tracks all the time. But you want to just come up to somebody and just lay a track on them, but that's the only time you give them the time of day? You think that's going to do it? No, sirree. And you know it's not. That may have been the approach that we've taken for decades, and I'm telling you, that's not an, that, that you give them a track and pray over it, and, that's, and I do the same thing. But if we really want to engage with people where they are, it's going to take a little bit more than that. Can I get an amen from anybody in here this morning? Because this is the truth. Here's the point. Jesus wasn't afraid to touch people's lives. That's real life ministry. He went to where they were. He lived life with them. He touched them in their disease, in their brokenness, in their sickness, in their lostness. It was the Pharisees that were standing on the sideline hurling false accusations at him. 
truth number two. Hang with me now. Don't get nervous. The need for legit ministry and action isn't determined by a feeling or emotion. Notice verse 36, which, by the way, I'm about to tell you something. I'm going to show you how smart I am. Did you know verse 36 came after verse 35? Did you know that? Verse 36 shows us how he was touched emotionally. He was stirred. It says he was moved with compassion on them. And then it gives the reason why. It says, notice how the Lord describes them. It says they fainted. That means they were exhausted, worn down, worn out. They were scattered abroad. That means they were thrown down, literally hurled all around, tossed down, thrown down on the ground. Kind of like the North Carolina uh, offense and defense got yesterday. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that right now, are we? About the only ones that have reason to gloat this morning are the Alabama fans and the Duke fans, unfortunately. Okay, get back on preaching, okay. A.T. Robertson said it means that they were torn and mangled by a wild beast. And then Jesus said he was moved with compassion because they had no shepherd. Verse 35, a sheep left without proper care. Verse 36, their souls were uncared for, not nurtured, without guidance, without true spiritual direction, aimlessly wandering, vulnerable to attack and defenseless. That's what the Bible says about them, that they were just torn up spiritually. They were without any kind of shepherd, no direction whatsoever. And the Bible says Jesus saw all this when he was engaging with them and he was moved with compassion for them. This was their plight before Jesus visually saw them and personally encountered them. And here's what you notice, though, about the text. Jesus acted and went to them first. That's verse 35. And then was moved with compassion. He wasn't touched, moved, filled with a sense of empathy, and then decided to act, move, or minister. Jesus didn't wait until he got stirred before he acted. He acted and then he was stirred in his heart. You see the difference? He was moved with compassion. But I'm afraid most of us think that we must be stirred or moved or touched emotionally before we can, would, or should jump into action to spiritually touch people for the kingdom. I'm afraid so many of us are sitting back waiting to be stirred emotionally or have a deep sense of conviction before we get involved with real up-close, life-engaging ministry. But here's the deal. I want you to listen. We already know what the need is right now. There's no reason to hesitate. See, one of the plights of our modern culture is we've been conditioned to believe that if we don't feel something... We shouldn't do something because we are a visual culture. Think about what we do when we want to advertise or talk about special needs or special offerings or we have a need for this or a need for that. You know, we throw a picture up on the screen. We make a video about it. You know one of the things we want to do? Capture your emotions. Because we know with this generation, if we can get you captured emotionally, you're more prone to do something. Now, that's natural. 
But Jesus didn't do that. That wasn't his mode of ministry. That wasn't his ministry model. Jesus knows the truth about the needs of people and he jumped into action and then the motivation and the sympathy and the compassion and the heartstrings followed. Don't wait. Don't think you have to have some big special revelation from God to jump into action to help and minister to people. You know enough. Here's the deal. The truth about the brokenness and lostness of humanity should move us to action now. We already know enough to cause us to engage. You're not spiritually ignorant about the need of our world and the need of our Jerusalem. You know. You know they're lost. You know they're aimless. You know they're broken. You know they've been torn by the wild beast called the devil. You know all that and so do I. Let's stop waiting for God to hit us in the back of the head to get up and do something. Final truth. Listen now. Don't don't shut me off. Harvest reaping is impossible without harvest reapers. Notice what Jesus said, verse 37. Watch this. Then said he to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You pray the Lord of the harvest, listen, that he'll send forth laborers to his harvest. Every eye right here on me. You know what Jesus is saying? Huge harvest of souls out there. Very few workers. Very few laborers. And then he says, I want you to take another step. I want you to start asking the Father that he'll send laborers and call laborers out. You say, why did he instruct them to pray this? Let me give you one of the reasons I believe. Multiple reasons. Let me give you one. Say you were standing, say say you were fishing somewhere on the bank. And you saw someone 100 yards from you in a boat. And all of a sudden, the boat begins to take on water. And the boat goes under. And you realize that the man in the boat doesn't have the ability to swim. You see the need. You know the man's going to drown. How many of you would stand on the bank and you say, Hmm, that guy's drowning. Hey. Hey. Somebody over here, come over here and go swim out to that man right there. Somebody go help him. Yeah, I'm going to be the facilitator, all right? I'm going to call y'all's attention to his need, but I'm just going to keep standing here fishing. You like preacher? Nobody with one eye and half sense would do that. You're right. You know what we do? We might holler for somebody to come help too. But we throw our pole down and we jump in the water and we do whatever it took to go help the man. Is that not the fact or what? Sure it is. And here's what Jesus, I believe, is wanting us to understand. He wants us to pray for more harvesters, more laborers, and more workers. But it's kind of hard to pray that sincerely. Lord, send workers. So look at that vast harvest. God, send workers there. Send workers, send workers, send laborers, send laborers. And the whole time we're standing on the sidelines asking him to send somebody else to go do what we already know right now we ought to do. Because you know 
you can't harvest something without harvesters. And you know what Jesus has appointed us today? Harvesters. Look at, look at, look at all this, yo. Look at all this. Look at all the opportunity right here in front of our nose. What are you going to do? Action points. Here we go. Move out of maintenance mode and legacy mode. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Let's move out, move out of maintenance mode. I tell you what, as a church, we just need to maintain. No, friend, we don't need to maintain. We need to move out. This isn't legacy mode. Let's just maintain the legacy. Brother, you better move out or you're gonna, we're not going to have a ministry to maintain. This, is, this church is one generation away from extinction. Fully on legacy mode. It's about the legacy of Jesus. His legacy is infinitely more important than mine. Number two, don't wait for some huge epiphany before you choose to act. <laughs> I had this dream last night. Don't wait on a dream. You've already got the truth. You know people are in darkness. They need the touch of Jesus in their life. You be the physical touch. Finally, do something. Do something. Now. So what are you going to do this week? Well, tomorrow I'm going to go to a picnic. No, what are you going to do this week? harvest to get the harvest what are you going to do what are you going to do to touch lives and to touch people for Christ's kingdom what are you going to do you're like preacher I honestly don't know yet but I'm going to seek God can I tell you booyah that's where it starts ask God Lord I want you to show me I want you to show me this week what I need to do and what you want me to do and when he shows you, let's do it. Now, there are in different individuals in this room as we come to a close. I want you to listen. You've sat here this morning, and you've been stirred in your heart. I'm tired of being stirred and not being changed. And I'm going to ask you this morning to pray this prayer. Oh, God, help me to act. Move me to action. Change me to the point where I act based on the truth that I already know and show me what to do. Show me what to do to help reach my Jerusalem. Show me what to do, Lord, to open up a window of ministry to somebody this week. This morning you're here without Jesus Christ. You might be religious, but you're not saved. You might be a churchgoer, but you're not a true heart Christian. Can I tell you and remind you again that Jesus Christ died on the cross for 
you. That means in your place so you would not have to die and suffer an eternal hell. But if you come to him, not to a priest, not to a pope, not to a pastor, you come to Jesus Christ as you are and you turn from your sins and you turn from your unbelief and you turn from your own religion and you claim Jesus, you trust Jesus, you embrace Jesus and you swap your unrighteousness for his righteousness. And you rest in him. The Bible says that you will be saved. That's the greatest exchange I've ever heard about in my life. His life for mine. Would you come today and give your heart and life to Christ? He's calling you. His arms are open for you. You're here this morning as a believer and you're out of fellowship with him. He wants you to come today and get things right with him. Maybe God's leading you to join this church or to follow him in believer's baptism as a believer. I don't know what your need is. Maybe you have a huge burden on your heart this morning and you want to come and just spread it out before the Lord at the altar and just give it to God and say, Lord, I must have your direction and help in my life. I don't know what your need is today. I'm so glad he can meet every single one of them right now. Let him have his way in this place. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. People are praying all over this auditorium.